This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by Gates of Stone, an Asian-inspired epic fantasy novel by Angus McCallan. Taylor Anderson, New York Times bestselling author of the Destroyer Men series, writes, I meant to give Gates of Stone a quick look before I started reading it and couldn't put it down. Angus McCallan is a brilliant storyteller. Learn more over at gatesofstonebook.com. Wired.com presents... The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 343 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing series 11 of Doctor Who, which is the first season to star Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. And this will involve spoilers for every episode of the season and for the New Year's Day special, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Rajan Khanna, making his 12th appearance on the show. He's the author of the post-apocalyptic novels Falling Sky, Rising Tide, and Raining Fire, and his short fiction appears in magazines such as Lightspeed, Shimmer, and Beneath Ceaseless Skies. His articles have appeared on Tor.com and LitReactor.com. So Raj, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be back. The next up, we've got Sarah Lynn Mishner, making her ninth appearance on the show. She's a Ravenclaw tricky maker feminist who writes at Medium and lives in Northern California with a Renaissance engineer, a dog, and a bird. So, Sarah, welcome to the show. I always enjoy it. And also joining us today is Matthew Kressel, making his sixth appearance on the show. He's the author of the novel King of Shards. In his short story, The Last Novelist, or A Dead Lizard in the Yard, was nominated for the Nebula Award and was a finalist for the Yuchi Foster Memorial Award. Together with Ellen Datlow, he hosts the monthly Fantastic Fiction Reading Series at the KGB Bar in New York. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be back. And today's show is brought to you by the new novel Gates of Stone by Angus McCallan. And here's a description of the book. It says, In a world of blood and magic, a powerful epic fantasy begins. An emperor's daughter who will not be denied. Just before her 16th birthday, Princess Katarina is refused her rightful place as heir to the Empire of the Ice Bear solely because of her sex. Determined to regain her inheritance, she murders the foreign lord she's been ordered to marry and embarks on a perilous voyage to the lush tropical islands of the Laut Bazaar in search of the vast wealth and power she needs to claim the empire for herself. A prince forced to take a stand. On a small island kingdom, Prince Arjun's idyllic life is shattered when a malignant sorcerer invades, slaughters his people, and steals the sacred sword of Jun's ancestors. With his royal father dead and his palace in ruins, Jun reluctantly tracks the sorcerer and the magical blade far across the pirate-infested waters of the Laut Basar, a sorcerer seeking to destroy the world. Long ago, the powerful relics known as the Seven Keys were used to safely lock away the terrifying evils of the Seven Hells. With June's ancient sword in his grasp, the sorcerer Manku has claimed the first key and begun his mission to unleash catastrophe upon the land. As the destiny of these three entwine in the lawless islands of the Laupasar, the fate of humanity hangs in the balance. For if the sorcerer cannot be stopped, the world itself will be unmade. Peter McLean, author of Priest of Bones, writes, with tense political drama and rip-roaring action in a fresh and believable Asian-inspired setting, Gates of Stone reads like a collaboration between Joe Abercrombie and James Clavell. Add ancient feuding sorcerers and a queen who would eat Cersei Lannister for breakfast, and you have the makings of an excellent fantasy debut. Angus McCallan is a compelling new voice in epic fantasy. And here's a bit about the author. It says... Angus McCallan is a pseudonym for Angus Donald, a British fiction writer and former journalist who is now based just outside London. He was born in China and lived, worked, and studied in Asia for much of his early adult life. He was awarded a master's degree with honors in social anthropology by the University of Edinburgh, partly based on his field's work in Indonesia, which led to a dissertation, Magic, Sorcery, and Society. 
He also worked as a journalist in Hong Kong, India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. So again, the book is called Gates of Stone by Angus McCallan, and you can learn more over at gatesofstonebook.com. All right, so now let's get to our panel. Okay, so let's start off with Raj and have you just tell us about your background as a Doctor Who fan. Yeah, so I think I first encountered Doctor Who when I was a kid, when it was on PBS, uh, where I grew up in Jersey. And um, when I first started, when I first discovered it, I should say, uh, Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, was um, in those episodes. And they would show them back to back. And I was just kind of instantly captivated by this weird English show with bad special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, I remember seeing my first Dalek and be, just being kind of immediately taken with that image and, and the strange name and the whole ridiculousness of it all. Um, and then I lost touch with Doctor Who for years. I mean, I think I, I watched maybe a couple of the Peter Davison um episodes, but when it came back in 2005, uh, with the ninth doctor, Christopher Eccleston, um, I started watching again all the way through. So I've been pretty constant with it, um, until now. See, now I grew up just across the river in, in Westchester, New York, and I never saw Dr. Who on television on PBS or anything. Do you, do you know if it was on there as well? Or did I, did I, I was just not staying up late enough or something? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was in odd times. And so, I mean, I, I know for sure there are some nights, I, nights on the weekends that I stayed up late, like, you know, 10 o'clock and later to watch them. And I, I think I would always fall asleep, you know, in the midst of a, a series of episodes. Um, but I, I assume they would be played here too. It's just, I, I think you had to be, you either had to happen upon it or know that it was out there, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, how about Sarah? What was your background with Doctor Who? Um, I had seen the original uh, series when I was a, a homeschooled teenager, uh, and back when I would spend hours and hours watching black and white films and uh, TV shows and stuff like that on various cable channels. Um, there was not much social time when <laughs> I was homeschooled, so I had hours to do this. Um, but then my our, our our mutual friend Carolyn had uh, introduced me to the ninth and tenth doctors, so I uh, sort of picked it up from there and been on and off ever since. And so your parents let you watch Doctor Who? They, you know, their usual thing with you know with media was weird in that they let us watch almost anything. They were very conservative otherwise, um, but I remember them taking me to see like Presumed Innocent when that came out, and I was like 10 or 11, um, and I was born in 79, so whenever that was made, but like, you know, there were a lot of sort of very inappropriate things that they had me watch anyway, because they just, I don't think they wanted to hire a babysitter for just one <laughs> kid. So I remember, you know, being taken to all these things, but they just did not express interest. They thought, well, if it's on TV, it should be fine for her. Especially if it's on like Turner Classic Movies or something. Right. <laughs> Little did they know how subversive. Little did they know. <laughs> well, so how about Matt? What was your what's your background as a Doctor Who fan? Uh, I think my background uh, mirrors Rogan's um, pretty much. I, I, I remember watching the um, like my introduction to the Doctor was was the Fourth Doctor, Tom Baker. Um, I think it was usually after school. I seem to remember watching it around like three or four thirty. You know, sometimes in the in the fall and winter as the sun was going down. You know, it was dark out, and the, you know they, they always kind of creeped me out a little bit because um, uh, I, I I think some of the uh, the monsters were a little scary for me at that age. Um, so I, I definitely watched uh, the Fourth Doctor. 
Um, the, the fifth doctor, Peter Davidson and sixth Colin Baker, uh, not as much. And then, um, didn't really watch, uh, much Doctor Who again until, um, Christopher Eccleston in 2005. And then since then I've been, I've been watching pretty religiously. Now, I forget, did you grow up on Long Island? Yeah, I grew up on Long Island and I, I seem to remember, you know, um, you know, my, my memory could be off at this point and I'm, I'm sure it probably is, but I, I seem to remember it being on like channel 13 or channel 21. And it was like they would play the Doctor Who episodes. Like a lot of times they would do it non sequentially or, or if they were sequential, somehow I would miss them. So, I, so even though there was like three and four parters, I would only catch like one or two <laughs> and would never find out how it, how it ends or I would see the final episode and, you know, want to catch the first three. And somehow I would, I never, like some of those original, um, Tom Baker, series like i never saw the com- uh complete uh all the parts of the of the series until until much later because hmm. yeah like I, was, I mean as you guys know i this watching this series 11 this is the first doctor who i ever really watched um i don't remember it ever being on when i was a kid i was sort of aware that it existed my um aunt and uncle had a doctor who poster up in their kitchen of their house but, um, you know, and I guess like I probably could have gone out and you know sought out the VHS tapes or something, but I never really knew anyone who was into it. So I never really watched it as a kid. And then by the time the they relaunched the show in 2005 with Christopher Eccleston, by that point, I was in grad school and I was like 100 percent focused on writing and was not watching really any TV at all. And I always kind of had the sense with Doctor Who that it wasn't something that I would love because I tend to like stuff that's really dark and serious. Or I also like stuff that's laugh out loud funny. And my completely uninformed opinion or impression was that it would sort of fall somewhere in between, that it would be kind of funny and kind of not serious. And it would sort of be in a sort of un- uncomfortable middle ground for me as far as those things went. Um, but so then, you know, once um, once this series came along and I just saw so many people on YouTube saying like, oh, this is the worst Doctor Whoever. They've ruined my childhood. Um, but then at the same time, like it was like 90, the series was like 94% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. And so it just made me curious. I'm like, I'm going to sit down. I'm just curious to see like how good I think it is personally. Um, so that's kind of how this, uh, yeah, this came about. Um, but so, and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts in a second, but so how about, let's go back to, to Raj. So how did you, what were your, um, sort of, um, expectations going into this series 11? Kind of what were you uh, hoping or fearing? I don't know that I had a lot of fear. I mean, I was one of those people who was excited when they said the doctor was going to be a woman because it had come up before that the doctor should be a a woman or the doctor should be black or the doctor should be whatever. And I remember there being this huge or at least the impression of, of there being a huge outcry from people that like it wouldn't be the same and it would ruin the whole thing. The doctor's supposed to be a man. And even I think Stephen Moffat said that he believe that the doctor should be a man as well. And that never made sense to me. I mean, this is a alien who makes a habit out of creating new bodies for themselves whenever, you know, they take too much damage or, you know, get too old or whatever it is. So why couldn't they be, you know, a man or a woman? So when they actually announced that, I, I was just really happy. Um, and I, I knew Jodie Whittaker from, um, Broadchurch, and I liked her in that, and so I, I thought she could probably do a decent job. And I guess she was in also Attack the Block too, right? So, um, you know, I, I felt like they cast somebody who was um, capable of of 
doing good work, but I wasn't sure what to expect from the new showrunner and things like that. I think I have a weird relationship with Doctor Who in that I, I, I love it. I love the Doctor. I love the idea of the show, but the execution of the show doesn't, doesn't always work for me. Um, and with the previous showrunners, I think they've had really good, um, aspects of the show and then kind of things that bugged me, uh, ongoing. So I think I was more concerned with, is the showrunner gonna, going to take the show in a direction that I like. And I don't mean direction as in like politically, you know, what what people are saying, oh, it's too politically correct or whatever. I mean, more like, are the plots going to be decent? Is the science going to be something that they, you know, spend any time on and and things like that? Um, So that was really what I was um, concerned the most with, I guess. Well, let me just say for non-Hoovians like myself, when you say Stephen Moffat says X, Stephen Moffat being the showrunner, for the, the last the, couple seasons. The previous showrunner, right. So there's been now, I guess, three showrunners, um, unless I'm forgetting somebody. There was, um, what was Russell Russell Davies was the first one, then Stephen Moffat, and now Chris Chibnall. This is since it came back in 2005. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, and so Chris Chibnall was the new showrunner. He just started the season. Um, I think he had written some episodes of Doctor Who in the past, and I think he was the showrunner for Torchwood, which was a spinoff series from Doctor Who. Um, it's kind of funny because there, he was like a member of the doc, some sort of Doctor Who fan club. And you can watch this video from 1989 or something where he's talking about how they, how the show has just gone off and it told he's, you know, and he's like, I don't even know, 18 or something in this video. He's on a TV show and talking about how the show has just totally gone off the rails and it's gone in a completely wrong direction. So it's kind of funny because now this is like, you know, like the tables have turned on him. <laughs> um, but so, uh, so Sarah, what were your kind of, uh, expectations or hopes going into the season i was very intrigued when i i heard that it was going to be a female doctor and i i also felt like it was long overdue and honestly i mean as a you know feminist sci-fi fan it's one of the things that always bothered me about doctor who i felt like you know the sort of formula of always having female companions always having male doctors like it just made me think of doctor who in a certain way that wasn't very flattering towards it. And it, to me, it limited the scope of, you know, it, it felt almost less real because if, 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 you know, as he was saying, if this alien does in fact have this ability to regenerate in all of these bodies and something, why are we still seeing this very standard, you know, sort of very heteronormative pairing constantly? Um, you know, even though the doctor, I, I do appreciate that the doctor has always been somewhat asexual. Like, I feel like, especially because, you know, he, he always had, you know, female companions, especially much younger female companions. Uh, it would have been Because he's like 3,000 years old. So right, we're talking exactly. much, much younger. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I was very excited about it and, uh, you know, more excited about this season of Doctor Who than I have about any of the other new doctors. Mm-hmm. How about Matt? Expectations? I was super excited. Um, so um, I watched Broadchurch. Uh, I didn't see Attack the Block, but I, I thought Jodie Whittaker was great in Broadchurch. And I, I just thought, like, when they revealed those first uh, pictures of her, you know, in, in her new, you know, getup, I was like, oh, I'm I'm sold already. And, you know, like, I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with Moffat. Uh, I, I think some of his depictions of, of women in the series have been problematic in the past. But... You know, he had some amazing episodes, on the other hand, like um, Blink, The Girl in the Fireplace, uh, The Doctor Dances, The Silence in the Library. Like, those are all fantastic episodes. 
And, you know, I, when, uh, I speak to people who've never seen Doctor Who, I say, let's watch Blink. I say, even though the doctor really is kind of a secondary character in that episode, it's such a good science fiction. It, like, one of the problems I always have with Doctor Who, and, and by the way, I love Doctor Who, is that you're in a time machine, but a lot of times, like, they don't use that as a device in the plot. Obviously, it would create all sorts of problems if they did it in every single episode, but, um, it's, a lot of times it's like, okay, we have this time machine, we can, you know, basically manipulate history, but let's just play everything linearly. But Blink does, does that in a completely different way. It's like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna take the notion of time travel to this completely amazing level. If you haven't seen it, go watch it now. I love it. But Moffat, I feel like with the last few, um, seasons of Doctor Who, he, he was always going for this kind of like, bombastic epicness that I felt was doing a disservice to, to the, to the show itself. It just sort of, I guess it kind of sort of diluted everything for me. And, and, and I was less excited. Like the first season of Peter Capaldi, uh, I, I was lukewarm about the second season. I liked better, but I was really just happy that we were going to have a new showrunner that we were going to take it in, you know, someone's going to, you know, new, new doctor, a doctor as a woman, a new, a new head, uh, showrunner. I was like, I- I'm just all in. Like I, I had, I had no reservations about this and, and no fears. I will say I have seen Blink because I interviewed James Glick about he wrote a book about time travel. And so in preparation for that, I, I said, I think that's the only Doctor Who episode that I've actually sat down and watched from beginning to end. Did you enjoy it? Oh, it's, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's totally brilliant. The premise is that there's these sort of, aliens or monsters or something who they uh, are frozen by being looked at and so uh you know they they sort of sneak up on you when you're not looking at them or when you're blinking um but like you said the the doctor is almost not in that at all i think he's in a videotape and then he shows up at the end so i really still from watching that didn't have any like huge impression of what the doctor was like as a as a character i mean just from cultural osmosis i feel like i know the basics of this show that there's the the doctor and he's this alien from the planet Gallifrey and he has a sonic screwdriver and a time time space machine called a TARDIS, which looks like a British phone, phone box, whatever. Uh, I know he has a robot dog, uh, police box, uh, police box. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it, is, so is it, I don't, is it not like a phone booth kind of thing? The phone no, booths are the red ones. Right, right. Oh, so what's the? I don't you see. This is how un, uninformed I am. So what is what is it actually? What is the actual thing in real life? Like, what would you use it for? I don't think they use them anymore. I think they're long out of use. But they're old police boxes. I think they they have like an emergency phone in them, and um, I don't actually know what the police would do inside of it. But I think I don't know. That's a good question. Okay, but it sounds like it is kind of like a phone booth. It's it, like it a is, police it, phone booth. Yeah, it's like yeah. a yeah, it's it's a phone booth that goes directly to the police. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I really knew about Doctor Who before I watched this show. I mean, I knew he had he always had a female companion. Um, I Not knew always. Was, no, no. Or I knew he often had a female companion. Like yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's yeah that that's a that's pretty much about it. So I was pretty I was going into this pretty fresh. Oh, I knew about the Daleks uh, or Daleks. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, but so yeah, so uh, maybe I'll give you my impressions of this first episode going into it. Uh, I did not understand why she fell out of the sky. 
Uh, hmm. I felt that was a little underexplained. But I, uh, you know, and I'd heard so much about Jodie Whittaker's casting being, con- being controversial. So I was kind of curious to see what she was like. And I thought she was like absolutely fantastic. I thought she was the, the highlight of this show. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know what any of the other uh, actors really were like, but um, just like coming into the show as a newcomer, I thought she was fantastic. Um, and actually, I, I really liked all the the four main characters. I thought were all great. You have, in addition to the doctor, you have um, this uh, this old guy named Graham and his grandson Ryan, and Ryan's old friend from school uh, Yaz, who's a police officer in training. Well, it's his step grandson, which I think is an important plot point. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Noted. That's a good. Yeah, good point. Step grandson. Because they, they're kind of estranged, like they don't really get along very well at first. Right. So Graham had married uh, Ryan's grandmother um, and Ryan's and Ryan's father was kind of out of the picture and uh, has never had a father figure and is really reluctant to take to Graham as a, um, you know, as a paternal figure. Um, but so what did you guys, what did Raj, what did you think of these these four main characters and uh, sort of the dynamics between them? Well, I, I, I agree with you that I, I loved Jodie Whittaker as the doctor from the beginning. Um, just the energy that she had. Um, I love, I love the hopefulness in the character that to me feels refreshing after yeah. having a lot of cranky white dudes. Um, yeah. and the humor, which I think is really important that, you know, and it, it's a kind of like, you know, she pops in these little lines here and there that, just make me laugh. You know, they're, they're, they're really kind of light and fresh and smart. I think, um, kind of the observation she makes or the references she makes. Um, I think that the group is great. Like I, I, I feel like, you know, people will criticize probably the inclusion of all these characters as, you know, ticking boxes perhaps, but I love that the show has a, you know, not for, every single person in the world, but the show has people that represent a large swath of the audience who's, who's watching it. And I think that the personal dynamics between the characters was a really smart idea because you don't even need to have the doctor on screen to have there be, you know, tension and interesting conversations. And, you know, a lot of the arcs that happen over the course of this season have to do with their interpersonal relationships and nothing to do with the doctor whatsoever. Yeah. So, so have the, like main characters not been ethnically diverse in the past. Is this a new thing? I wouldn't say it's an, I mean, so, so um, I guess who was the second companion that uh, tenant had? Um, I'm forgetting her name now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, She's the so one that she, fell in love with him. Yeah. So she, they had a, a black woman as Martha, companion. Martha, Martha, Martha. Yeah. And then, you know, they had a man, before with, I guess, Rory for, for the relaunched, um, show and they had Bill, right? So they've had ethnic diverse, but they tend to be young, attractive people who are hanging out with the doctor up until now, I suppose. I know that the people <laughs> that are on there are not attractive, but for example, having an older guy, I thought was a great, you know, addition to the mix, especially since the doctor's appearance now is a lot younger. So it also provides a contrast. Um, and, I don't know. It, it's usually one or two companions. So having three again, I think just beefs up that whole group of people to play with and play against. Um, I think it, it was a challenge possibly over the course of the season to be able to cover all of them adequately. But I think 
from my opinion, they did a fine job by the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, I've heard some criticism that people thought that the relationship between Ryan and Graham was really well developed and that Yaz was sort of um, underdeveloped a little bit. I definitely want to see more of her in the next season. Like, I think that she is like one of the things I liked about this series is that the they did really work more on character development, I think, than many of the other uh, Doctor Who series that I have seen mm-hmm. um, in terms of, you know, exploring like their backstories and everything. And the one really Yaz backstory we had was more about her grandmother. Yeah. Um, and it was still, you know, sort of a, a Yaz story, but, you know, it wasn't so much about her. So I do feel like, you know, we need to see more of Yaz, um, whereas we, you know, have the other characters uh, are explored a little bit more. Uh, but I think they'll take care of that in the next uh, in the next season. Yeah, like, uh, you know, one of the issues that I had with Yaz was that she is a police officer, right? So her natural instinct would be to be a kind of detective. At least that's the way I would probably write her. And we don't really see her doing much detecting. Um and it, I think it would be interesting to sort of have that play off the doctor because to me, the doctor is sort of like a Sherlock Holmes in space, right? So the doctor is, you know, always solving problems, usually with some form of engineering or science or, you know, something that she, she or he remembers. So it's like, I just thought it would be, it would be interesting to have Yaz sort of, you know, take up that role and, and, you know, maybe, see the doctor as a kind of mentor for, for who she is. And, you know, there, there was so much, um, like Yaz to me was, is still kind of a cipher, I think. So, so like the show spent so much time with the relationship between Graham and, and Ryan, um, and Yaz sort of felt at sometimes superfluous. So, you know, as, you know, there were times when I was like, hmm, I wonder if, if three, com- three companions is too many. For this show, I don't think it is. I, I, I think it's, it, it actually works really well, but, um, I, I like, like, uh, Sarah said, I, I want to see, like, Yaz's character explored more in, in next season. I agree, Matt, that if, uh, if you didn't watch the first episode where you found out she was a police officer in training, I don't know that there's really anything else in the series that would give you that impression. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see her, like, you know, detect or, or say, oh, you know, um, you know, this is the procedure that we did, you know, like, because, um, Ryan in that, in that, um, what was it? Kerblam, the, the sort of the Amazon <laughs> analog episode, he talks about his, his role as being, you know, working in a, um, what, what was he in some kind of factory, right? Like that's, he was a factory yeah, worker or sort, something. Oh, I thought he was like handling packages. Packages or something. Yeah. So it was like, you know, at least they, they referenced that. And then, you know, Graham has, of course, the Rosa Parks episode where he's, talking about the bus driver and he goes to the bus station and talks to the bus guy. So I just wanted to see Yaz, you know, be like, okay, you know, as a, as a cop, as a police officer, this is what I would do. And this is how I would handle this. And they do, they do reference it a couple times, just for example, in the, the episode, which was called, um, it takes you away when they're talking to that girl in Norway. Um, you know, she does talk to Ryan about, how she's had training in talking to kids and she's learned oh, how to, that's how right. to talk oh, you're to them. Right. Yes, um, right. And then in the, the New Year's episode, you know, I, I agree. It needs to be developed more. I'd like to see more of it and she should have more to do. She should have more of a backstory and an arc. Um, but there was a point at which she's like, I took down their information. I have their, um, you know, oh, their yeah. cell phones or whatever. And 
that moment for me, I was like, oh, right. Cause she, she knows how to do that. Like that's what yeah. she would do if she, as a cop. Yeah, and and right. I, I like that little yeah. touch. So. Yeah. You know, cause I, I, she did do that and I didn't connect in my head that she was doing that because that she's trained that way. Yeah. Cause I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, that was very, that was very clever and forward thinking of her. And then I'll, oh no, of course that makes sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I, I also thought, speaking of the characters' backstories, there was not a lot about the Doctor's backstory, which maybe for regular fans is kind of like, you know, all that stuff already. But it did strike yeah. me as a little odd that that these these humans are never like, so, you're an alien? Like, where did this TARDIS come from? What's it like being well, in Well, it's bodies? meant to be very mysterious. Like, you know, it, it, that's part of the humor of the character, right? It's kind of like when she, you know, when he's like, you, you know, you're not Banksy, and she's like, or am I? Or you know, and, and, and <laughs> that, that was, like, love, who that the, the doctor funny, is funny, yeah. and where, where he or she came from has always been sort of, I think, shrouded in mystery on purpose to give it a sense of, of you know, of mystery, of, of you know, that sort of unknown aspect being making it more interesting. I, I do agree with that, but but I also feel like I, I wanted the, the companions to just have a few more conversations with her, just to be a little more curious. I mean, they can still be coy, like, you know, the doctor can still be coy about where she comes from and, you know, what she's done and things like that. But I, I just felt like the show could have gone a little deeper into her, into her character. They did mention her, her grandmother's, um, which I thought was interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I had six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's it, it would be less even about revealing that information if it's supposed to be mysterious. It's more just it would humanize those companions, I think, to right. have them wondering that kind of stuff that anyone would want to know more about in that situation. Yeah. See, like there there are things like little things that the show, like little grace notes, like where where Graham is like, oh, I pack sandwiches when before we, we go out on these adventures. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wait. So wait, did he do that? Like, you know, um, back at home, like they went back to his home and he made sandwiches or is there like a kitchen on the TARDIS <laughs> and are they like hanging out and like, you know, having like water cooler chat? Cause like that would be a really <laughs> cool episode just to see like what happens on the TARDIS. And I think there were a few episodes of like earlier seasons where we see, you know, like whole episodes on the TARDIS and, and, and I always find those interesting cause it, it, you know, it shows part of the show that you never see. So like, I think. Maybe we're supposed to think that that stuff is happening in the background, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. It could be brought forward. I, I would just like to say though, that having watched the previous four, four doctors, um, and usually with the sole companion they were with, there was a lot of attention put on the doctors, you know, who is the doctor? What is in his past? And the, the, the companions were always so obsessed with the doctor, um, or getting close to the doctor. And so I actually find it refreshing that the focus is not really on what, what the doctor is about. It's more on the companions that I think, you know, I, I think I just got really tired of like everyone worshiping the doctor everywhere they went. And the fact that the doctor is now kind of just the leader of this little gang to me is, is awesome. I love that so much. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, let me just, I wanted to mention this, uh, speaking of, uh, of Jodie Whittaker as the doctor. And if, did you guys see this thing that Neil Gaiman tweeted? He said, um, after the first episode premiered, he says, I just watched the woman who fell to earth. That was definitely the doctor. Not that I had any real doubts, but it's wonderful to see how much of the doctor she is. And then some internet rando replies, ah, so you're a new fan because the doctor is a woman, not a real fan of the show since the sixties then. 
<laughs> oh my god! And imagine, to, imagine saying that to him. Oh my god! <laughs> to which, to which Neil Gaiman replies, "My first episodes of Doctor Who were the first William Hartnell Dalek story. You can read about it in my introduction to the first Doctor Who novelization." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and not to mention though, how many episodes did he write? Two or three episodes on the show as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. But yeah, so I want to mention that. But so. I guess, like, my impressions as a new viewer were, like, maybe you guys can can tell. I mean, this is just the tone of the show, right? Or the sort of, you know, lighthearted comedic tone of the show or something. But it seems to me that the doctor is this really nice person who cares a lot about the companions. But then she puts them in incredible danger all the time without any, like, real plan or, uh, like, adequate equipment or uh, training or anything like that. Is this something that you just ha- kind of have to go with, or is that yeah. addressed, do you think? Yeah, I've always thought, it's, you know, it's kind of a Dumbledore problem. Like, this is one of the main uh, complaints that people have about the Dumbledore character. Like, why, if he cares so much about Harry, did he put them in, in, the, in these incredibly dangerous situations? But I think that, that you know, it, it is something that is has been consistent throughout um, the series of Doctor Who that I've watched. But I feel like it's because, you know, they, the characters always are warned on some level. Like, yeah. you might not live <laughs> just to let you know. But I think that, that the doctor has seen enough and has seen so much more than us that I think that he or she knows that even if the character, you know, if one of the companions is lost, they're probably going to see so much more, infinitely more than the average human, and that it will have been worth it. But I think that that, you know, again, it's a it's a personal choice of the companion. Yeah, I mean, she she warns them at one point. She's like, you could die. It's dangerous out there. You could die. But yeah. I think, like you said, I think she understands that it's such, you know, the, the universe is so big and there's, you know, so many wondrous unknown things out there to see. Like, you know, she's thousands of years old. And still she hasn't seen everything. And, yeah. and so it's like, you know, she's got this insatiable curiosity, which I love. And she's like, I'm curious and I don't want to experience this alone. I want to experience this with someone. It's dangerous. We can get hurt. We could die. But, you know, if you want to come along with me, I'd love to have you. And, and, and I think that's, you know, the heart of the show is that, is that curiosity. Um, yeah. yes, you know, they go into dangerous situations and almost always the, the companions, like the, you know, I, I think it was, um, oh, well, which doctor was it? It was like, uh, you know, it was like, um, yeah, it was, it was all like after the Christopher Eccleston, like all of them, it was like the doctor would always say to the companion, like, stay here. And then of course the companion wouldn't. I think like Rose was famous for this. Rose is like, no, I'm going to go explore the ship and, you know, I'm going to go see what the 28th century is like. I'm not going to sit in the TARDIS and, you know, I'm going to walk around and see it. And, and I think that's what's, what's driving these companions is just pure curiosity. Um, and of course, you know, they get into trouble. I also think one of the things we've seen before is that the doctor, you know, generally thinks, I think most of the time that that they can get the companion out of whatever trouble, you know, because they're so smart or whatever. Um, and usually they do up until the point where they don't, you know, like it's, and, and when that happens, it's like that moment of pathos or whatever. But, um, but yeah, otherwise I think I agree with everything that, that everyone else said. 
Well, but like in the last episode or in the finale, um, the doctor's like, here's these um, throat mics, like walkie talkies, basically. These allow us to keep in touch with each other. And I'm kind of like, wait, have they not had anything like that this whole time to just be able to communicate with each other? Like, I guess not. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a mistake with Doctor Who to to um, kind of like if you analyze the show too carefully, a lot of it falls apart because like stuff that they're introducing in in earlier seasons, earlier Doctors, they could just you know if they had used that, you know, then they could solve this whole problem, but they don't. So it's like you know I tend to overlook those things, but yeah, like there there are little flaws like that. Like why couldn't they have little radio communicators? Although I do think that, um, you know, it was Christopher Eccleston who introduced the idea that, you know, the doc, like the doctor could reprogram your cell phone. And then you, not only could you call the doctor wherever you are, but you could call through time. I think that there was the episode where Rose called like five billion years into the past to her mom and left the message on the voice on the answering machine. Like I was like, I love that, you know, um, well, how come they don't have that all the time in every, in every episode? Well, cause you know, it would probably break the stories if they had that. So they, they, there's a lot of hand-waving going on is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, yeah, speaking of that, I mean, there's this funny thing where she had given a cell phone to Elvis, I think, who had passed it on <laughs> to Frank Sinatra. Like, right, oh, that yeah. That was funny. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, just it was bugging me that nobody had any weapons. I mean, I guess that that's the um, – that's a thing that the doctor is known for. But even if she's even if she's against lethal weapons, I wonder why don't they have any sort of 28th century non-lethal weapons. Well, she or, has her little – her little sonic screwdriver, which is, you know, sort of a, a it does it all like, you know, one, <laughs> one tool wonder. It seems to not be a particularly effective weapon, though. Sometimes well, but it is. <laughs> she uses it to, like, turn off the weapons of other creatures and stuff like that. Like, I think it's a pretty big deal that the doctor has drawn this very hard line of, you know, no weapons, no guns. And I think that's what makes the character unique is that it, the, the character, you know, in whatever incarnation, I'm sure there's contradictions to this out there, but generally doesn't try to approach situations with violence. It's usually reason and sometimes diplomacy or, you know, negotiation or whatever. And I think violence is always like the last resort, if possible, you know, like at all, which is kind of interesting when they introduced the concept of the war doctor and all that kind of stuff, which we don't have to get into now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love the fact that the doctor tries to come up with other solutions. And to me, the idea of using weapons would be like the easy way out for somebody like that. Um, I get your, I get your question, but I think it's also a long time facet of that that character that that you know violence is kind of like the 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 wrong way the easy way all right so um what do you guys think of or uh what uh, what'd you think what were some of your favorite episodes how about let's go there so um sarah what was what were some of your favorite episodes of this season oh god i think of the of the uh name of the episode (laughs) um What's the one with the uh, little the, the Saranga little guy? Conundrum? Saranga yes. conundrum, yeah. It's funny because I feel like that actually got some criticism for being the weakest one, but for me it was the most fun. Like I love the little creature. Um, you know, it's it seemed very Doctor Who to have like an adorable deadly creature. Um, mm-hmm. cuz you see a lot of 
you see a lot of like tropish characters, uh, monster types in a lot of other similar science fiction where you see like, you know, terrifying uh, creatures are also really ugly, you know, these kinds of pairings. Um, or you have, uh, you know, characters who are good aliens who are, you know, sort of have this otherworldly beautiful quality, like this Galadriel quality. And I really appreciate that Doctor Who especially is good at mixing those elements up and making them surprising. Uh, and I really loved the little creature. And I loved the the side plot of the pregnant man. Oh, I love that. Which is just funny. And it was just, it was, it was hysterical. Uh, and it was hysterical to watch Graham and Ryan deal with that, um, with being the guy's doulas. Um, so to me, you know, that was one of the strongest episodes. Um, and I don't really understand why there's some people that are panning it out there as sort of the weakest one, but I thought it was great fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I mean, I, I liked the pregnant man. I liked the, that you have to have the two guys to help cut the two umbilical cords. I thought it was kind of clever. Yeah. Um, I th- I did think that the episode was a little overstuffed with things. There's the the sort of mm. cap- captain and her brother or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like they were sort of underdeveloped and that part went by awfully quickly. And I felt like they could have almost cut those characters out. Um, I don't know what anyone... Matt, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I, I agree that, that, that subplot felt a little rushed. Um, you know, one of the other things in that episode that, um, I thought was really wonderful and just kind of a, um, you know, like a a symbol for the whole season at large was there was a scene where they're looking at the, um, I guess the ship's star drive. And then she's like, you know, I forgot what century they're in, like the 30th century or something. And she's like, this is this century's iPhone. Like this is the, this is like the super advanced technology, like miniaturized into this thing. And she's like, just looking at it with such awe, like this is what humanity can do when they put their minds to it. And I was like, yes, like that's, that's why I love the show. Like they just stop and point out like, like really hopeful things, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and that was, that to me was, um, like I got the chills when I watched that. And and yeah, and like um I I think people didn't like the the creature that I think it was the pating. They thought it was too cutesy, but I I totally love the idea that there's this little cute this cute little thing that is totally deadly. I thought that was brilliant. Um yeah. and it, it was it actually worked. I thought it was fairly creepy. Um but uh you know, I I I would say like I I kind of have like four favorite episodes of the season. Um I thought the uh the pilot was a was a wonderful introduction to the doctor. I thought overall it really worked for me. Uh, I thought the Rosa Parks episode was great with with one caveat. I thought that they got rid of the the villain too easily and I didn't quite understand what his motivation was, but I thought the Rosa Parks episode was brilliant. Uh yeah. Tar- Taranga conundrum like we just said. Um and uh for me one of the highlights was and and I think this was also possibly an episode that wasn't rated too highly but uh it takes you away where they go they go across um they go through the mirror into the um other reality and then Graham uh meets his uh deceased wife uh Grace I think her name was and and yeah. then um we find out that this is a a universe that a like a sentient universe created this reality because it wanted to be with with other beings but it couldn't because doing so would destroy both of them and i was like wow that is like such a cosmic amazing 
beautiful science fictional concept. And then I just love, love, love the ending where the doctor is talking to the frog who speaks in Grace's voice. And then they're like, well, why are you in a, she, the doctor's like, why are you in a, a frog's form? And, and she, and the solar track, the, the alien universe says, this form pleases me. And I was just like, I, I just love that. It makes no yeah. sense whatsoever, <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's, it's just, it just like, wow, just, it's sense of wonder stuff that when the show hits, it hits, it hits wonderfully. And like that to me really worked. And I, and I thought the, the emotion between, uh, Graham speaking to Grace, his, his dead wife, deceased wife, and then slowly realizing that she's a simulacrum and not his, his real wife. And, and that to me, I thought was like, one of the um, emotional, like the most powerful emotional uh, scenes in the whole in the whole season. But yeah, I mean, um, there are other parts of, of other episodes that I really enjoyed, but I think those four are probably my favorite. Let me just pick up, man, on what you were saying about the the mirror universe, which I thought I, I agree with you. All that stuff was brilliant. I thought that and 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 moving and and sort of sense of wonder, as you were saying. I thought that some of the other stuff in that episode that it was connected with was less strong and maybe that's why people you know read yeah so i thought that the weird like gremlin guy like i could have done without that and then just the idea that the dad has like boarded up his blind daughter in a house and put um speakers making monster noises to keep her scared inside the house like all that stuff was so just like weird and not believable that it it really um you know detracted from the episode overall to me but yeah yeah i mean like um so, so, uh, Ryan, right? He's, he's kind of been abandoned by his dad. Um, and I thought that there was a, a missed opportunity where he could have this, um, relationship with, with the girl who's been abandoned by her dad. Because absolutely, the dad was totally, like, I thought it was clear to me that he was abandoning his daughter. Like, he was, like, chose his wife, like, his, what he thought was his wife over his daughter. No, like, but it was that, just like the, the way he did it was so weird that it was, it was weird. It. And yeah, it was, it was kind of, um, it was manipulative, but it was, it was a little forced. I agree with that. Um, but I, I think a lot of times in, in Doctor Who episodes, it's just sort of, they, they kind of like force a setup in order to get to the actual conflict. And, and I was willing to overlook that. I, I didn't actually mind those, the scenes where they're like walking through those creepy tunnels. Um, I, it, it like brought me back to the old like Tom Baker episodes. It, I mean, it was definitely campy and, and, silly at times but it, it still had that um classic doctor who feel for me and and i enjoyed it but i i can see why other people you know didn't work for them as much see how about raj what do you think of matt's list of favorite episodes there do you agree with that or do you have different do you disagree i mean i, I think those are all good episodes i mean I, I think i like the same things that matt was talking about and i think that's a good list um the one that nobody mentioned that was one of my favorites and maybe it's it's more of a personal thing, but it was Demons of the Punjab. Mm. Um, and for a multitude of reasons, I mean, I'm a, of Indian descent, so like it, it had a personal quality. The, that, the story of, um, the country splitting, um, is one that, you know, relates directly to my family and my grandparents. And, you know, I've heard about it since I was little. Uh, so to kind of see it dramatized was really interesting. And I, I was, with this and with Rosa Parks, like I, those are the episodes, for example, where I was like, Oh God, how are they going to handle this? You know, like where I thought that they could have had a, a bad misstep. Um, and yet 
I thought both of them handled the subject matter really well. I think it helps that, you know, um, there was a black writer on the Rosa Parks episode and there was an Indian writer or, or South Asian writer on the demons of the Punjab, um, episode as well. So, and I think that that's an important thing that isn't done nearly as often as it, as it should be. Um, but I really liked that when there was something personal about it and I actually felt emotion watching the show, which is not always something I feel in Dr. Who, you know, I love Dr. Who, but some of the episodes can be kind of light. And, um, and for me, that one, and it, it was the one episode where they really gave Yaz any kind of, you know, yeah. depth as a character. We saw her family, um, you know, she got to kind of connect with her grandmother. Um, and so that one really stood out to me as, and also the fact that like, you have these aliens that, sh- that are in it that you're like, Oh God, the aliens, they have to defeat the aliens. What is the aliens angle? And the aliens are, are not the problem, you know, of that episode. The aliens are just there um, as observers. And I, I liked that little twist because I think oftentimes, again, in Doctor Who, it can be like, well, this is the bad alien and he need, you know, the doctor, he or she needs to defeat the, the alien. And, and I liked that little sidestep. Um, I thought that the, the villain of the piece was a little too mustache twirly for that episode. But otherwise, I think that that one stood out to me. I think possibly because it surprised me, uh, by being much better than I was, I was worried about. Um, but I also, I agree that like, I also really liked it takes you away for a lot of the reasons that Matt mentioned. And I also can agree that it has weaknesses, but there was something about that that was quirky and different that I, that I really enjoyed. Um, but I like parts of many of the other ones, like, you know, the ghost monument didn't really have the strongest plot, but at the end when the TARDIS rematerializes, it was just like a moment for me where I was like, ah, oh, you know, doctor and the TARDIS reunited was kind of, you know, made me also feel something. Um, so yeah, I, I, but otherwise I would think that's good. I, th- I, I think my, the weakest episode of the season for me was for me personally was arachnids in the UK. So second that one. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like Raj and, and demons of the Punjab that the, um, the aliens, like they were a race of assassins, so the doctor assumes that they're there to assassinate somebody, and then you find out later that they're like the last of their kind, and so they're like acting as witnesses to people who die alone. So I, I was like, it, it, there was, um, like the whole season uh, theme, I think, of like hope and redemption, right? So it's like they, they were this like warrior violent race or you know race of assassins they were murderers and now they're witnesses to people who die alone which is like you know you, you sense like that 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 uh race of aliens had their own arc and yeah. and so, so i i really like that and i just i was i thought that was a nice touch and i and i think that the show has always been really good about that about making you think one thing about somebody about an alien like oh they're you know they're they're violent they're murderous they're this and then you realize that your first impression was completely wrong and that, you know, it forces you to think about how you, um, you know, your own, your own first impressions of things and how you rush to judgment on things. And I, I really like that. I thought that's, that's one of the uh, strong points of the show. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the strong suits in general of this, of this series is that they, they're really good at making us understand that, you know, the, the humans are often the bad guys. And, you know, they did that in, in, in Demons of the Punjab and, um, 
in Rosa and, you know, even in, in Kerblam, which is sort of like an indictment of the, you know, of the Amazon, uh, work environment. But, you know, I think that in previous, uh, you know, incarnations of Doctor Who, there have been ways where they have certainly dealt with that in the same way. And I've always appreciated it, but it's a little bit, a little bit more of a, sort of, ooh, big government is scary or always wants to go to war or whatever. And, you know, there's a lot of episodes with the prime minister. So it's more interesting to see, you know, just normal, regular humans and human culture, um, you know, and all of the ways that uh, we have been evil um, in the past together, collectively, just normal neighbors. Um, and uh, I really like that because it makes it much better to uh, not have these just always the alien is the bad guy. And so Doctor Who in general has has been, you know, good with that. But I think this this season even more so. Well, let me ask you about that, Sarah, because one of the criticisms I kept seeing on YouTube and so on was that it, this the show had become too, quote unquote, preachy. Yeah. What do you think? Is this like more preachy than previous seasons, do you think? Well, I, I, only in, in the sense that it's being preachy about different things, right? Like, you know, and I think that the, that the different things comes with now that we have a female doctor, she is experiencing things like sexism in the witch finders. You know, um, she's experiencing being treated like a woman, um, <laughs> you know, which is, is they have to remark on that. Right. But, you know, I think in general, people have forgotten when they get upset about social justice in, in, in television and cinema that most of fiction is about the good guys defeating the bad guys. And, that's not going to go away anytime soon. And that's exactly what social justice is about. So it works really well in fiction to deal with sort of the battles for good and evil in the modern day. Um, and the, the thing about social justice is that, you know, it, it's, these are not really new fights. They're just new for certain people who haven't been paying attention before. Right. Like, you know, even you go to uh, when you look at the Rosa episodes, there should be nothing, nothing controversial about talking about the politics of 1955 Alabama. <laughs> this is definitely something we should have progressed past at this point. And obviously with a, you know, we have been dealing with a resurgence of public white supremacy um, in our own politics. But yeah, I really, I think that the people who are crying social justice haven't really thought about it. And, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't think they really know what they're talking about. Let me say about the Rose episode. I mean, I thought it was, I agree it was one of the strongest episodes of the season and I, it really affected me emotionally. Um, just like seeing that sort of system dramatized, it, al it almost feels like a Twilight Zone episode or something like some like you know, crazy science fiction universe. Um, yeah. And, and then, you, you know, and then you think like, wait, this, this, this was real life not that long ago, you know, and it's, and you, you have like the different marked sections on the bus and stuff. It just feels so like weird. Um, I did think with both that and Demons of the Punjab, which I also thought was one of the strongest episodes of the season, that I agree that the villains were too like, um, yeah, must, mustache twirling or like not developed or, um, yeah. you know, there wasn't enough. I, I thought both episodes could have used more moral ambiguity somehow. And both of them, and I have this issue with some of the other episodes too, although I can't remember which ones now, but like the, the, the very last note was like the very last shot or scene or whatever was like super, super saccharine. 
Um, and, um, I, I, I always like it better when stories end on a little bit more of a ambiguous note or like mixed emotions kind of note. Yeah. If I, if I might comment on your previous question, David, um, I think, I think the difference between this season and previous seasons is that they would have dramatized similar situations by having it be like two different religions of aliens on a planet, or it would have been, you know, some kind of different kind of segregation with non-humans or whatever. And this is, this season actually is going back to, like you said, history, like the actual segregation that occurred in the United States and the, the, the Muslim Hindu conflict in India at the time. And so I think it's always been there. It's just like, they're actually putting it in real life context. And, you know, I think the message was always there. I mean, I think it's a lot stronger when you put it in terms of actually showing, you know, racism in the South and the U S I mean, like, I think that's a much stronger message, but, um, but yeah. And also the other thing I, w- I would say is that the show is way more inclusive than it ever has been in the past. And I don't, you know, I know people get bent out of shape about that, but that's a good thing because it means it's accessible to more people. And it also means that if it's accessible to more people, I think as Hollywood is starting to see, that means they can make more money, they can get more viewers. And so I think it's a win-win situation for everyone involved. Um, and the people who get bent out of shape about it can bite me pretty much. So, <laughs> yeah. um, let, let me ask you though, Raj, I mean, because there have been something like 800 episodes of Doctor Who and they travel through time. And have, have they never interacted with like figures like Rosa Parks? I mean, that seems like well, weird. Let, let me tell you this. So it demons of the Punjab for me, especially um, stood out strongly because they're, you know, I I've since gone back and started rewatching um, old doctor who from the first doctor through. I'm at the four. I'm still on Tom Baker again. Um, but there is uh, a series called the talons of Wang Chang, which is, deals with um, Asian characters and they use yellow face. Like they don't even have an actual Asian person as the villain. He's a, a white man in, in makeup to make him look Asian with a fake Asian voice. And it's, it's not a, uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those yellow peril type things. Um, and so the show has a history of like doing stuff like that, which I, I don't know it was necessary even back then. Um especially since they have had Asian characters in the sh- and Asian actors in the show before. Um, I'm trying to think back to a lot of the history tends to be British history, I guess. Um, just thinking on the top of my head, uh, I, I, I don't really recall them going to a lot of um, non-European or Western historical moments. I mean, I, I, I suppose it's possible that, and I just don't, know about them or I haven't seen them or I'm forgetting them. But um I don't that doesn't seem to be a thing that I associate with Doctor Who up until now. I don't know, Matt, do you think can you think of anything? I yeah, I mean I feel like they go into a a, a lot of uh British history because I think, you know, the majority of their viewers are English and they're going to be familiar with, with those aspects. But, you know, occasionally they will have episodes that take place in the U.S. And and I, I always find it interesting to, you know, number one, that like I think a lot of times they cast English actors to doing or doing American accents, especially mm-hmm. when like an English actor does a New York accent. It's almost always wrong. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, it's it's, um, you know, I, I think I think the show um 
like I think the show is strongest when it's tackling you know um, contemporary issues, and and I and I think that you know um, you know Moffat kind of did that in a way like he was very aware of like how you know our addiction to to technology might be not always a good thing. So I, I think he was focusing more on that than maybe like these these uh, you know social political issues. Um, but but you know. It's, like like Raj said, like people have problems with this stuff. They they can they can bite me. They can bite us all. Like <laughs> like like who like you know what you you don't want to watch the show. Fine, go watch something else. Like we'll we'll continue to watch. Like like to me this like Rosa and and the demons of Punjab. These were like really powerful episodes that dealt with real things that happened. Um, and and in some ways continue to happen. Um, you know I I think that uh. You know, Dave, you were talking about this idea of like moral ambiguity in those episodes. And, and I think like you got to really be careful with that because like what's the moral ambiguity about the villain in Crasco? Like he pretty much wants to stop the civil rights movement dead in its tracks. So it's like you can't really make his argument sound convincing. Like I, I thought they actually missed an opportunity to make his argument really like make it sound really dumb and stupid and why would anyone believe that but they just sort of made him just sort of cardboard mustache twirly and then he vanished and i don't know we might see him again we may not um but yeah i mean you know i, I think i think the show um really works when it when it tackles those contemporary issues because like these are these are issues that uh, that's on everyone's mind right we're we're thinking about these maybe consciously maybe not consciously and then when we see it like handled deftly in a show and they talk about the issues and they explain them and they, and in, in a way like, you know, like you said, Dave, you know, it made you feel uncomfortable when you saw how people at that time had to sit on a different part of the bus. And it's like, it's something that you, you know, perhaps read about. Um, maybe you, you never really understood it that well until you saw it, um, played out on the screen and, and, you know, empathized with those characters and saw them as human beings and not as just, you know, a figure in a, in a history book. And, and, and I think that's the strength of something like that, especially when you have a time machine, you can go back and, and experience all these events. I mean, it was funny because one of the, um, I watched a video, I, I tried, I didn't have time to watch too many, but I tried to watch some of the criticisms of the show. I, I didn't find a lot of it super convincing but what one of the things i thought was funny was one person said like oh they've turned doctor who into like a children's show that just teaches history lessons <laughs> um which as i understand it was actually the original premise right. of doctor who so i thought it was just kind of funny that the idea that they've changed it into what was actually the initial premise of the show to begin with yeah it's also funny when somebody uh when when somebody online says well there's too many there's too many companions and and we just need to go back to having one companion. And it's like, you clearly haven't seen the other seasons where there are multiple companions. And this is perfectly normal for Doctor Who. Yeah, and there's three historical episodes out of ten. I mean, that's 30%, like, quite literally. That's not a majority. That's not every episode. Um, and the ones that they did choose, I thought, all had, you know, very good reasons for it. But for me, again, the the, the show has always been about on some level about hope and about like 
it, it shows you kind of the spectrum of human behavior that humans can be capable of, of such terrible things, but that humans are capable of such amazing things, compassion and courage and, you know, working together to accomplish great things. And the doctor for me has always been somebody who's trying to push people or help people get to that great place, you know, where, where humanity shines and believes in us humans, um, and believes that we can get there, um, and always wants to give people a chance. And to me that this season checks all those boxes. I mean, it, it does that really well. Um, and in, in some ways better than previous seasons or, you know, recent seasons, I should say. Um, and to me, that is straight on right in the center of what Doctor Who is all about. Yeah. Well, well, so, so yeah, so I, so I mentioned that there's this big, um, difference between on Rotten Tomatoes between the critic score and the audience score. And, uh, the audience score I think is 23%, which seems pretty ridiculously low to me. I, I think that's just obviously people with strong opinions, um, you know, over, uh, overrepresented in, in that sample there. But then the audience, the, the critic score of 94% seems kind of high to me. I, I would rate this more like on the 75% um, out of 100, like 7 out of 10 score for the season. Um, Raj, you mentioned you didn't particularly care for arachnids in the UK. I also thought the Witchfinders was pretty weak. And I yeah. thought the, the Battle of Ranscore of Kolos and Ghost Monument, I, I have those marked as just sort of so-so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they were that great. I agree with the first two you definitely mentioned. I mean, Arachnids of the UK, the thing that bugs me the most about it is they build up this huge thing. You know, we see that giant spider and then boom, gets shot the end of the episode. And it was like, that's it. Like it, I felt, I felt really let down by how that, that. Yeah. There that were more happened. spiders in the city, weren't there? Right. <laughs> yeah. And then also again, the villain to me was, was terrible. I think that's what I would like to see them develop the villains more. I mean, I liked Tim Shaw. I liked, uh, you know, I guess the best villain, I'm, I'm trying to think of what other villains were there, but, um, but yeah, I, I, but I agree with you also on the witch finders. Like I wanted to like that a bit more, uh, but also King James bugged the hell out of me. Although really, after, after I, loved seeing, it. I thought he was great. He was I, I want to see more of him. <laughs> I just felt like it, 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 it against the backdrop of these people being killed. It just, it, it was a little too, it didn't work tonally for me. But the interesting thing was after I saw that episode, um, I saw the Mary Queen of Scots movie and I was like, Oh, right. Like that King James, this King James is Mary Queen of Scots son. And so if you, he, when he talks about his parents in, in that episode, it makes more sense when you see it dramatized as well. But, um, yeah. I mean, I agree that the Alan Cumming was very high, was very, very entertaining in that role, but. I agree with Raj from a historical perspective, the idea that people would talk to the King of England this way and like not be executed on the spot just, just did not seem like real life to me. But, but I love, I, yeah, I know, but I loved how eccentric he was that he would just like, he would just, anything people would say, he would just like, Oh, it's, you know, whatever. Let's, you know, let's go kill the witches. Like he's just, he's, he's like this eccentric, kind of smart, kind of stupid. Like there's like weird blind spots that he has. Like it, it, I, I, I don't know. I just enjoyed his character very much. By the way, just like one thing I noticed, and, and they've been doing this for a while, but the companions and the doctor just go to any time period with their clothes yeah. as yeah. they are. Um, and back in the like Tom Baker days, they used to have to like put on Victorian dress to yeah, actually yeah, yeah. go out into Victorian England. So I wonder when that changed. And, you know, I, I guess it makes more sense 
for us, the audience, but I kind of miss when they had to dress up. And well, you would think the TARDIS probably has a heck of a walk-in closet on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've seen it. It I think, does. A couple yeah. Times, yeah. Sarah, were you going to say something? Oh, just I, I enjoyed Witchfinders. I think more than than the rest of you, just because, I mean, you know, the the history of treating of women trying to help and using herbs and healing uh, and labeling them as witches is very interesting. And I like the way that they handled that. But I, I also, I feel like, um, you know, you said that, that it wasn't believable to have, you know, King James walking around like that and having everybody sort of interacting with him casually. But that's very Doctor Who to me. That's very classic, yes. like having a, a very overblown sense of reality bordering on satire where it's not meant to be taken seriously. It's meant yeah. to be this sort of, you know, hilarious romp, uh, you know, and almost a dreamlike idea of history rather than actual history. Because if they were dealing with actual history, I don't think they'd be able to, you know, do as many stories as they do. They would have to go back and and uh, really alter the stories because there, there, there's so many things. I mean, you know, the doctor is showing her ankles <laughs> and wearing <laughs> pants and yes. nobody seems to remark on it that much. They remark on it from time to time, but it would actually be a huge deal. So, yeah, well, I feel well, like that like, part is intentional. But it's like you contrast, um, you know, Ellen Cumming playing King James with, I don't know the actress's name who played Rosa Parks, where she was just like, like dead on realistic to me. I mean, well, yeah, they couldn't have done something both that recent and that uh, rife with uh, political tension and importance uh, culturally. You know, we we don't have people around who, you know, uh, were around when King James was around. So we can make allowances and, and, and take, you know, risks and stuff with characters that nobody actually remembers um, that we can't do with modern events. I guess just for me, having only seen Rosa and Demons of the Punjab, when you get to the Witchfinders, it's kind of like, wait, what? You know, because the other ones are, you know, have a much more grounded reality to them. I, I think that's common for, for Doctor Who is to sort of, you know, vary in tone like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, see, sir, what did you think? Do you, do, would you rate this season 94% or would you rate it differently than that? I would rate it 94%. Um, and I also... I really, I really am upset that Rotten Tomatoes has not fixed this issue yet because this has been ongoing since uh, at least the all-female Ghostbusters reboot. It's been going on for several years where, first of all, audience ratings should not even be collected until the thing comes out, whatever it is. Hmm. Like, I don't understand why they, they haven't made very simple changes that would prevent these kinds of campaigns from going on. And that's what, what they are. They're, they're, these are not honest opinions of people. These are, 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 you know, they, there have been stories about how, um, you know, far right groups have little underground conversations between themselves where they literally create fake accounts that, you know, sign up for these things and go ahead and rate things low before they have even come out. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why Rotten Tomatoes has not taken a serious look at this and taken some very basic steps to prevent it. Like yeah. what, what would they, I mean, like say they made it so you couldn't review stuff until it was out, you would still have the same issue, right? Maybe it would just happen a little bit slower, but like, is there anything they could do to just prevent people who are highly motivated to give something negative reviews from doing that? Well, I mean, it's right now it almost feels like they've done nothing. 
So even if they did a, you know, a couple of basic common sense things, it would be a little better because when those, when that rating, when that audience rating starts out as low, when that movie comes out or whatever it is, that matters. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it would, they would, you know, sort of, I'm sure that they would totally tweak their, their strategy, um, to modify to whatever changes were made, but at least they should be trying. They should, you know, make sure that you can only have like Facebook, make sure you can only have one account. People go around it all the time and have fake accounts under different email addresses, but at least they try. And I feel like Rotten Tomatoes has not even begun to address the issue. Uh, Matt, would you give this season 94% or something different? I would give it, you know, you know, nine out of 10, I'd probably give it a 90. I think that, um, I, I really loved it. I was really excited about it. I thought that there were like, you know, we said there were a few episodes that didn't quite work for me. Um, you know, I wanted to know a little bit more about the doctor, not in like, you know, like all, like every single detail of her, of her backstory. But I, I guess I wanted the more interaction with, with the companions and the doctor. And I thought maybe she used her sonic screwdriver a little too much. Um, but overall, I thought it was really great and it was really refreshing. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think a 90, you know, 94, I could give it a 94. I mean, I just like, as long as they make another season with this doctor, I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's like you would you would watch like uh, you know the I, I'm dating myself, but the Siskel and Ebert, right? And they would give it thumbs up and thumbs down, and like I'd be like, oh, I disagree with that. So like, if I went on Rotten Tomatoes and you know someone gave it a bad review, I'm like, well, all right. I mean, yeah, I could see how, like as Sarah said, like if if it gets twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes and I'm going to go see a movie and I see it's twenty percent, like oh, you know, maybe I don't want to see that. So I do think it it will it could affect. Uh, uh, sales and things like that and, and ratings from, from, uh, you know, like viewership. But, uh, no, I want to see more of it. I, you know, whatever, whatever rating that takes to see more of Doctor Who, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel like if the critic rating is 94% and the audience rating is 25%, whatever, like, I, I'm definitely not taking the audience rating at face value. Um, and I, I, I think like, you know, who's ever, um, at the BBC, like approving the, uh, you know, the budget for the, for the shows and things like that. I, I think they're looking more at, you know, viewership ratings and, and advertising revenue than, than Rotten Tomatoes. But yeah, yeah. Well, well, right. And I, and, and also, I mean, the, the Rotten Tomatoes, even if you were to assume that all of those ratings, the audience ratings were sort of, um, you know, well-intentioned, what's the, what's the word? Good faith. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's 5,000 people out of 6.5 million who watched, I think, a typical episode. Um, right. There's also been a, dis a lot of dis a lot of these YouTube videos that are like, oh, the ratings are tanking. I mean, like, at least as far as I can tell, the ratings have declined throughout the season, which I think is pretty normal. But they're still above the ratings for the last season or two. So, you know, I don't think it's the case that the, the ratings have, like, totally tanked. The show's, like, in a tailspin. Do you know if this season had higher viewership than previous seasons, or what, what was it? No, that's like what that? I'm saying. Yeah, so it started it, out at about at almost 11 million for the premiere, and I think it dropped to around six and a half million by the end. Um, and how did that compare to earlier seasons? Yeah, from what I remember, the last season with Peter Capaldi, it started out at like eight and a half million and dropped to five point five million. So oh. you know, this was consistently above that all all season. Oh wow, good. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, and I'm honestly, I am so tired of within science fiction, like even within, within any genre, right? Like hearing people complain about diversity, about intentional diversity in a show is annoying because it's like you can immediately tell how these people grew up. And I grew up in a, you know, in an intentional community, Columbia, Maryland, which was a very clear response to the white flight. And they, you know, Rouse, who was like the grandfather of Edward Norton, by the way, was the developer. And he decided that he was going to intentionally mix the communities and welcome families who, you know, of color. And so as a result, I literally grew up in an environment where, you know, a third of my class was black, a third of my class was, you know, uh, Asian, Indian, and, uh, and white. And so my friends were not only of color, but I would go over to their houses and their parents clearly had more money than we did. And this had an extraordinary effect on my being raised that way and sort of this culture of normalcy. And so especially when you see um, you know, and I, I read an article recently that said, you know, in London, there are more Indian restaurants than any other kind of restaurant because London has changed. The demographics of London have ch has changed over the past uh, couple of decades. And so it's, you know, it's really frustrating to hear this complaint constantly where it's like, okay, this isn't just what life will be like. This is what life has been like for many of us. And yeah. I am so tired of it. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so gross, but it's extra sickening in science fiction because this is the goal of science fiction. This is, this is what happens in science fiction, this mixing of cultures. Yeah. See, so, Raj, what would you, what would you give this show 90% or 94%? Or I mean, I guess it, I guess it would depend on context. I mean, to, to be honest, I love Doctor Who to death, but I don't know that I would give any one season you know, that higher rating if we're comparing it against any other season of television anywhere else. Um, because I, I find that those seasons can be very uneven for me. Um, I Like, for example, I would give Blink the episode like a 98 or a 99 or something like that. Um, but I think over the course of a season, however, compared to other Doctor Who seasons, I would definitely rank this um, up there. Um, I mean, I think they still need to work on some things. I'd like to see a little bit stronger you know, like I said, villains, uh, a little bit stronger plotting. Sometimes the end just kind of seems to, you know, happen very quickly. And I think that's because they're more focused on the character interactions, the character arcs and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, this is their first season with a new showrunner, a new writing staff, um, you know, a whole new team. So I think it's like one of those, they're finding their footing. So I'm, I'm I can't wait to see what they're going to do with the yeah. next season, which I heard won't be back until 2020, 2020, right? isn't that insane? Yeah. But, yeah. What did you think, Sarah, about the Chris Noth character, who I agree with, I think it was Raj, said it was 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 not well written at all. And and, and seemed to that, that did seem to me to have some like weird um like common political commentary shoehorned into it. Which which uh, episode was that? Uh the 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 uh evil hotel owner in the Arachnids in the UK. He was the Mr. Big in Sex in the City. Oh right. Yeah. No, I mean, he was very sort of, uh, cartoonish. And, you know, I think that he was, he was sort of, in a way, the, the villain that reminded me the most of previous villains that I had seen in the Moffat era, because, you know, this idea of sort of rich and powerful, you know, very cartoonishly bad, you know, not that, 
unfortunately, we've learned in the modern era that rich and powerful, cartoonishly evil villains do exist <laughs> mm. and are allowed to be in place. Um, but yeah, he was just kind of a almost a throwaway character to me. Um, but, you know, it served the purpose of the plot. I also wasn't a huge fan of that episode in part because... I have some mild arachnophobia and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to watch this, <laughs> but, but I did, I got through it. So yeah. And, and also I totally agree that often, you know, the, the conflicts are, are wrapped up too quickly. I think that would be my number one criticism of, you know, conflicts almost seeming to resolve themselves and they just don't, because of that, they seem almost like they were never threatening to begin with. So they do, do all this work of making you feel like this is a real problem and how are we going to resolve this? And then they resolve it kind of instantly. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I guess we haven't actually talked about resolution, which is the um, the New Year's Day special um, where the you have the return of the Daleks. Uh, I actually thought this was pretty cool. I would say this is one of my favorite episodes because it was darker and, you know, the danger felt a lot more real in this episode. Yeah. Um, but I, like you were just saying, I thought that it wrapped up pretty easily. I guess they only had an hour to work with. I, I thought maybe it, it should have gone longer, but, um, I don't know what you guys, well, how about Matt? what do you think of the, the New Year's Day special? Uh, I, I liked it. I, I thought that, um, like, I agree with you. Like it, it sort of began more like a, a horror movie or a horror a short story. Like, um, you know, they, they awakened this, this under, you know, underground evil that had been, uh, buried for, you know, a thousand years. I, th- I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, and I think if I'm not mistaken, it's the first time we see, um, a villain from previous seasons. So like, it's the, it's the first time that, um, you know, like we didn't see any Cybermen, you know, we didn't see any, um, you know, this is the first time we see the Daleks. Um, the Daleks, I think the, the episode sort of relies on a little too much of our previous awareness of Daleks because I I like it's definitely um creepy that the the Dalek takes control of of um of the of the uh the archaeologist and 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 then um Ryan's dad um but like the idea that the Dalek would one day you know has enough power to take over the whole planet uh and and that to me was like well I don't know if they really established that. Like the doctor said that, but it's like, you know, it just has like one little laser. Like, is it, is it that tough? Like, but yeah. Well, we no, but it was going to, it was going to call the fleet, right? Right. It was going to, it was going to, it was going to call the fleet. But, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I like the episode. I, I think that, um, the, the resolution of it, like, like we said before, a resolution, haha. Um, <laughs> the resolution of resolution, um, it was like a bit too easy. It was basically like, um, you know, Ryan forgives his dad and then, uh, he, he, dad gets the strength to, you know, shake off the, the evil Dalek and drop it into the supernova. And then it's like happily ever after. And, um, I, you know, I, I thought it might've been an opportunity for, for the dad to realize, like say to like him, you know, I'm sorry for what I did to you. And then like, let go. And then, but it then well, like, the, I, I think the show was, had been trying to keep this like lighter tone throughout. And then he had already lost like, you know, his, his grandmother and then to lose a dad as well. Like I think might've been too much and maybe they didn't want to do that. But I mean, my, my issue with the ending being too easy was less with that part than with the blowing up the Dalek tank thing with the, with microwave parts. Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of silly. And then like, you know, he's, he's dragging around the microwave the whole time before that. And it's like, Oh, okay, there you go. There's the MacGuffin. (laughs) 
Um, but you know, I, I I love the Daleks. Like I'm I'm always excited to see them, and and they're always like creepy and cool. And like I I thought that the um, like I know you said earlier, like the CGI for the the Arachnids in the UK was bad, but I, I thought the CGI like for the for the Dalek in this was was really well done and really creepy. Because I mean, I don't I think we've only seen the Dalek out of its case like a handful of times, and usually like I I seem to remember them being like small like maybe like like a you know a size of a large plate or something but like this one was taking up a whole wall I was like oh that's that's creepy and cool about raj what'd you think of resolution i liked it you know i i mean i i had some issues with it as well but i thought it was cool to see a new kind i mean if you're going to bring back the daleks to to come up with a new kind the reconnaissance scout that we hadn't experienced before um, which, you know, I, I'm willing to buy that they have these lone creatures that are more powerful that they shoot off into, um, you know, distant places. Uh, I really, you know, I, I guess I think of myself as a romantic at heart. And I thought that that little like budding romance that they start out with was really great because immediately this, there are stakes now for that character who gets possessed that I was like, Oh no. They're not going to ever get together, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. which I, th- I thought was a really smart way to do that. And, um, you know, I, I, I do love the, the Daleks were, you know, one of the first things I saw in Doctor Who that I was like, oh, my God, they're so weird and cool. I also really love the fact that the Dalek constructing its body through its hosts kind of mirrored the scene in the first episode where the Doctor is in that kind of like smithy or blacks, you know, like that mechanic shop kind of constructing her own identity. I thought that that was a really cool throwback. Um, and I, I love the fact that, you know, yeah, I, I think the, the resolution between Ryan and his dad at the end was a little easy, but the fact that we had a whole season to kind of build up Ryan's situation, Graham's situation and how, he, you know, to see, like, I thought I really enjoyed the parts where Graham like takes Ryan's dad aside and is like, yeah. you know, I got to talk straight to you. And, and that obviously this showrunner and this writing team, their primary focus is on the characters and their relationships. And I think that's why some of the plots resolve so easily because they're not as concerned with that. You know, they're focusing more on making the characters work, but I think it has been working. You know, I think it's one of the strongest parts of the season. Um, I also really loved that they, you know, the doctor tries to call unit, which is an organization that's been in the show right. from the second season, I think, or the second doctor's time frame. And they're like, uh, budget cuts, you know, there, there's no yeah. longer a unit anymore, <laughs> which, you know, that was a hilarious was, scene. Yeah. Yeah. It was really well done. <laughs> well, what you were saying, Raj, about the two characters at the beginning, kind of confessing their feelings to each other. Like my girlfriend at that part was like, Oh, Right. So to- totally got her. That's but also what I was pretty much doing. I, but but I felt like it was, you know, it wasn't like a throwaway thing. I felt like they really sold that moment. You know, like it's that budding romance thing. Two people who finally admit something and like, oh, let's go out later. And then she gets possessed by Dala, I guess sometimes <laughs> yeah. happens, I guess. So. But that actually reminds me, Raj, you said on Facebook that your girlfriend has not liked Doctor Who in the past, but really liked this season. Well, so she, I, I would say, I don't know that she's watched it. Any, any significant, you know, portion of time, but I know she bounced off of it previously. You know, she tried to get into it. She didn't, she just bounced off of it. Um, and this season, you know, I was like, I'm going to watch Doctor Who. It's the new female doctor. Would you like to 
like watch it with me. And she said, sure, I'll give it a shot. And she watched the whole season with me and was like really into it. And I think there's a few specific things. One is I think the humor really won her over because it's a really sharp, you know, but subtle humor. Um, it's not like they turned it into a slapstick comedy or anything, but like, you know, the Banksy thing, there's like lots of little throwaways like that. Um, I think it's the enthusiasm of the doctor, you know, which is really like doctor again, it's just so excited by things, you know, like, like experiencing things and seeing things. And like that comes across, which I think infects the viewer a bit. And I will say this, that one thing I hadn't mentioned so far, I think the cinematography on this season has been better than anything the show has almost ever done because there's something in the way they're shooting it, the colors, the quality of the picture that has elevated it for me and that it doesn't look as cheesy as some previous seasons do. And I, I, yeah. I uh, accept the cheesy and I welcome the cheesy because that's always been part of Doctor Who, but somehow it just seems sharper and crisper and more professional. And I think that that's really great. You know, yeah, they I mean, did some say of the- they changed those elements. They, they yeah. you know, changed the way that they filmed it. Um, I guys- think some of the CGI is shaky still, but, um, you know, like the, I, I love the end part with the, the, the universe, the sentient universe as the frog, but that frog looked terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't, I, I just wished it, I wished it had been grace in the end because that way, you know, we, I wouldn't have been distracted by this weird frog. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, I was just going to say, um, what do you guys think about the fact that every episode was its own story and should, do you think there should have been more of like a, an arc or more two-part episodes or something like that. You know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I read that somewhere that um, they were trying to, um, they did that intentionally so that like you could, you don't have to have this incredible knowledge or lore of Doctor Who to get into it. Like you can jump in at any episode and, you know, you don't need to know what was going on six episodes before. Um, you know, sometimes those, season long arcs can be can be fun and and I think that especially when you don't realize it's happening and then you realize like six or seven episodes later like oh that thing that they were doing and you know all the way back there is somehow coming into play now I, I think like you know having a, a story like that uh, can really work but but I, I enjoyed this it, it it just it it just made me feel like every episode I was going into I'm, I'm like not completely starting over, but um, there's there's like a freshness to it. There's no, I guess, quote unquote, baggage from previous episodes. It's just like, okay, we're in a new place, new time. We know these characters. What's the story? To me, that works. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily be against seeing a, a, a plot arc in in future seasons. You know, I, I think that Moffat and and even Tennant to a degree was not Tennant. Um, sorry, um, Davies. Davies was was um like guilty of a lot of times like making the the companions like turning them into like these they had these like epic plots that somehow they were all connected to this cosmic thing and and you know i i like that the companions in this are just ordinary people at least so far it seems that way and i think that grounds the show because they are basically stand-ins for us like we put ourselves in their shoes and like you know we're experiencing these things for the first time just like they are yeah. So, so that, that part I think works really well. Yeah. I, I would just like to say that, I mean, I think I like the one-offs and after, after Moffat, I mean, he had these convoluted, 
you know, sometimes seasons long, like several seasons long arcs that were going on that I forgot what the <laughs> beginning deal was in the first place. So that I got tired of that, um, for a while. And so these kind of like short punchy episodes, I think, or, you know, individual episodes worked for me, but also the fact that we do get arcs for the characters, you know, like the doctor becomes more confident as the season goes on, the group gels more, you know, Ryan and Graham come together at the end or, or at least voice their, their appreciation or, or Ryan voices his acceptance and appreciation of his, of his, you know, grandfather. Um, and, you know, we do get the kind of Tim Shaw in the first, episode and then at the last episode of of the season it's kind of closing that loop and dealing with grace's death sort of in the long term so i think they gave us enough that made it feel like there was progression while keeping each episode kind of different which i which i appreciated all right cool so we're pretty much out of time so i think we're gonna have to go into some final thoughts if anyone has any uh i guess i'll just remind people that this uh jody whitaker is coming back uh, as the doctor for at least one more season in 2020. I don't know if there's any more information that we know about that at the moment, but um, how about uh, Sarah, final thought? Uh, I'm just really happy with it. You know, I, I think that uh, before this series, I didn't particularly think of myself as a quote unquote Doctor Who fan. I like, I liked it and I would watch it or not, like depending on who the doctor was and I could kind of come and go with it. And the episodic nature of it means that you can kind of pick up and, and, and go and pick it up again in three years later when they have some other doctor. I mean, it's, it's sort of always around. And so you, you, you just sort of, it, it's almost like it's easy to take advantage of it because, because of that. Um, but you know, I don't have the same love of it that I do of something like Star Trek, for instance, until this season. Like, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that, um, there is something extremely compelling about who the doctor is, who the doctor has always been and making him female, <laughs> you know? And, and, and to me, that was always, I think something that stood in the way of my enjoyment of, of Dr. Who. There was just something almost too male about the whole thing between the, you know, with the female companions and everything. Um, but I, I really love it, and I, I really enjoyed watching episodes more than once, which isn't always something that I, I particularly enjoyed with, with traditional Doctor Who, um, other than really good episodes, um, which exist, totally exist. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just super excited about, about you know, waiting a year and, and seeing what they do with it in the next season. Cool. And how about Raj? Final thought? One, I love Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor. Um, I think she just brings this energy and like wide-eyed wonder to the role that really works for being the Doctor, but also kind of in contrast to what had come before. It just like made me fall in love with the character all over again, um, which I love. And I'm really excited to see the show come back because I think, you know, this season was them finding their footing and, um, I think that they'll be able to, you know, improve in the next series. And I also think that, you know, this has been airing live recently. So like when it hits DVD or when it hits whatever streaming services it might come to, I wonder if it'll get even wider or even bigger of an audience. And I, I hope so. And I feel like people who get into Doctor Who can sometimes become like lifelong fans. So, you know, I think that it could have even more of an effect than it does in just the Rotten Tomatoes ratings or the or the TV ratings. So. Right, cool. And Matt, final thought. 
Um, I, I love the season. I, I love Jody Whitaker. Um, you know, as we discussed, there are parts of it that aren't perfect, but like, yeah, like as Rajan said, they're getting their feet. Um, and you know, I, I think one of the things that stuck out for me was just the overall sense of hope and optimism of this season. I think that, um, you know, I loved Peter Capaldi as, as the doctor, but I also felt like he had a certain, like, acerbic quality to his character. He's very sarcastic and kind of bitter. And, and, you know, it, it took, took a while for his, him to grow on me. And I, and I, cause, because I, I felt like he wasn't really how I always felt the doctor was. And so, like, when Jody Whitaker comes along and, and is just like, you know, just in awe at the universe and, and just always optimistic and hopeful and also like, you know, leads with her brain, not, not with a gun. And like, I, I just, I love all of that. And I think that she was just, she just nailed it. So I'm super yeah. excited and I, and I'm kind of sad that I have to wait a whole year to, to see more. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. So we'll wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Rajan Khanna, Sarah Lynn Mishner, and Matthew Kressel. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Rajan Khanna, Sarah Lynn Mishner, and Matthew Kressel for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Why Not Make the Crib Great, who writes, If you like sci-fi, you should listen to this podcast. This podcast introduces me to things I hadn't heard of before that I go on to love, while also embiggening my understanding of books, movies, shows, and ideas which I thought I'd had down pat. A perfectly cromulent show. So big thanks again to Why Not Make the Crib Great for that great review. Special thanks as well to Whitney Treppel, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. I also want to thank Angus McCallan for sponsoring today's show. Learn more about his new Asian-inspired epic fantasy novel, Gates of Stone, over at gatesofstonebook.com. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.